Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the First Universalist Unitarian Church. My name is Carl Drake, and I am a member of this congregation. I want to extend a special welcome to everyone joining us here today and online this morning. Since 1858, UU Wausau has served as a vital force for a liberal religion in central Wisconsin. We are an intentionally free society that welcomes all people just as you are, regardless of age, sexual orientation, ethnicity, or economic situation. Wherever you are in life's journey, you are certainly welcome here. We are currently worshiping both in person and online, so be sure to subscribe to the church's newsletter, follow us on Facebook or Instagram for updates. We do have a few announcements. After today's service, the annual meeting of the congregation will be held in the sanctuary. All church members are allowed to vote. There are poinsettias on the table in the atrium set aside to be delivered to members of our congregation who can't join us in person on Sundays. Please take a poinsettia and an address card and deliver some holiday cheer. The giving tree is set up in our atrium filled with names of local children. Please take a name and bring a wrapped gift to church to the church office by 2 p.m. Monday, December 19th. Please join us for a glorified coffee hour after church next Sunday. We will be wishing Pastor Brian safe travels for his upcoming sabbatical. He does not leave until after Christmas, but we want to focus some special time before everyone gets even busier with the holidays. Cake will be provided, but please bring goodies and treats as you are able. And with that, let us gather our hearts and minds for worship. Please join me in reciting the church's chalice lighting. You will find the words printed in your order of service. We light this chalice for the light of truth, the warmth of love, and the fire of commitment. We light this symbol of our faith as we gather together. Please join us as you are able in hymn number 235, Deck the Hall with Boughs of Holly.
Citing the church's affirmation, you'll find the words printed in your order of worship. Love is the doctrine of this church, the quest of truth is its sacrament, and service is its prayer. To dwell together in peace, to seek knowledge and freedom, to serve human need, to the end that all souls shall grow into harmony with the divine. Thus do we covenant with each other. Nardoxology. Have a seat. Well, good morning. How are you all doing? It's nice to see your wonderful faces here in this season of December. I haven't told a story for all ages, in ages, so I'm going to knock the rust off this morning. Uh, how many of you ever read a Choose Your Own Adventure book when you were in school? Weren't they wonderful? So. I'm going to let you choose your own adventure this morning. I can remind you of the story of the Unitarian who is stranded on a desert island. It's a good story. I told it a time or two before. I can tell you about the history of the Christmas tree, the Weihnachtbaum, or I can tell you about the most perfect Unitarian Universalist worship service ever conducted. We have someone going three, okay? Three, three, three. We're going to tell the, number, the, the perfect Unitarian Universalist story ever conducted. Well, once upon a time in a galaxy far, far, far away, there was a Unitarian Universalist church north of the 49th parallel. How are you situated in time and space, friends? Great. Now, if I were to say to you that Unitarian Universalists are an opinionated group of people, how many of you would disagree with me? <laughs> no one is disagreeing with me, so the premise stands. Let's drive towards the conclusion. So here we go. This church was wonderful. It was filled with good-looking people just like you. None of them 
better looking, but some of them just as good looking, I promise. <laughs> the minister, like most Unitarian Universalist ministers, fielded at times complaints about this or that. You can imagine if you were a Unitarian Universalist minister what maybe some of those complaints might be like. So just imagine them. But it was a wonderful church. People gathered. There was wonderful music. The music director at this church, her name was Jargit Mers. <laughs> and she was the fairest most beautiful music director in all the land. She stood just so, she wore beautiful sweaters, and she gave wonderful hugs. The minister, her name was Marian Basin, and she was slightly below average in the looks category, but she made up for it with wit and wisdom. And so anyways, what this minister and this music director decided to do was they went back in time and they gathered every complaint they ever got. And they sat down at the desk one Saturday night and they said, what we're going to do is we're going to trim all the fat and we're going to give the people what they want. Sunday morning, the perfect Unitarian Universalist worship service. All the things that anybody had ever complained about have been trimmed. The only thing that would be remaining would be the things that people loved. The mayor showed up. The president of the Unitarian Universalist Association showed up. Your neighbors showed up. And everybody stood there. And the minister and the music director walked in. And they took the stage. And what do you think happened next? They walked out. <laughs> they walked out, ladies and gentlemen. That's what happened. And then the congregation was left sitting there in silence. 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 Anyways, that's the story of the most perfect Unitarian Universalist <laughs> worship service ever conducted in the history of humankind. Why am I telling you this story and a story for all ages? I'm telling it to you for this reason. Sometimes you just have to tune out the things and focus on what's going well. And that's what you've got to focus on. I think about this with my daughter who comes home from school and everything her teacher says that's critical is the thing that lodges where? Right there in her ear. And I tell her, you can do math. I certainly couldn't have done it fifth grade. You seem quite bright to me. I think about that with the people in the church who's living this life, and they tend to get down on their negative stuff too. And I want to say, without giving advice, is don't hang on to that stuff. That isn't the stuff you need to hang on to. Okay, I think that's our story for this morning. Let's sing our children's song.
The mission and ministry of UU Wausau is made possible by the generous support of its friends and members. Rather than pass a plate at this time, we've placed an offering basket in the back of the sanctuary for you to drop your, your gift in. You can also stop by our website, uuwasa.org, to make a one-time or recurring gift with your credit card or debit card. Please give. Let there be an offering to sustain and strengthen this place, which is sacred to so many of us, a community of memory and of hope. For we are now the keepers of the dream.
I'd like to invite you now to join me in a spirit of meditation. I want to encourage all of you to start by relaxing your body and centering yourself. Uncross your legs. Put your feet on the ground. Let us develop an awareness of this space, of this congregation. And so as you close your eyes, focus your attention on your jaw and let the tension out. Let your throat relax and breathe up into your shoulders and slowly out. Move your attention down into your stomach and breathe deep in and slowly out. Oh life, we long for a day of singing. We long for a day of everlasting joy and gladness when sorrow and sighing will flee away. And yet we look around at the world around us and see that these hopes and prayers go unfulfilled. And so we cry out. We cry for justice, for peace, and for healing. And we hold tenderly in our affection immigrants and migrants people who hope for a better life for themselves and their children, but too often find rejection and misery. We pray for the imprisoned, those who hope for a better life when they are released, but too often are barred from work and homes. We lift up those whose lives are marked by poverty and need, for those who are sick and in pain, for those who are broken in spirit or mind, that the good news of prophets from every age will one day soon come true. Let us call to mind all the joys and sorrows in our lives, and let us meditate on them in silence together now. Amen. Please stay seated for our prayer hymn number 1061 in the Teal Book, For So the Children Come.
Margaret's going to play this through one time, and then we'll all sing together. And then there's some narration, and you'll sing after each of the narrated parts. For so the children come, and so they have been coming, always the same way they come, born of the seed of a man and a woman. angels herald their beginnings. No prophets predict their future courses. No wise men see a star to show where to find the babe that will save humankind. Yet each night a child is born is a holy night. Fathers and mothers sitting beside their children's cribs feel glory in the sight of a new life beginning. They ask, where and how will this new life end? Or will it ever end?
Each night a child is born is a holy night, a time for singing, a time for wondering, a time for worshiping. The reading I've selected for this service is a poem entitled Music at My Mother's Funeral by Faith Sheeran. And the poet writes, During the weeks when we all believed my mother was likely to die, she began to plan her funeral and she wanted us, her children, to consider the music we'd play there. We remembered the soundtrack of my mother's life, the years when she swept the floors to the tunes of an eight-track cassette called Feelings, the Christmas when she bought a Bring Crosby album about a bright Hawaiian Christmas day. She got Stravinsky's Rite of Spring stuck in the tape deck of her car, and for months, each errand was accompanied by some kind of dramatic movement. And after my brother was born, there was a period during which she wore a muumuu and devoted herself to King Sunday Aid and his African beats. She would iron and weep to Evita. She would paint to Italian opera. And then, older and heavier, she refused to fasten her seatbelt, and there was the music of an automatic bell going off every few minutes which annoyed the rest of us, but did not seem to matter to my mother, who ignored its relentless disapproval, its insistence that someone was unsafe. Therein ends our reading.
So for me, Christmas is a delightful season. I have many pleasant memories from when I was a boy, setting out cookies and milk for Santa alongside carrots, of course, for the reindeer. Then I would wake up the next morning and I would discover gift-wrapped dreams underneath the Christmas tree. And as an adult, I even love some of the season's trappings just a little bit, the music especially. I love the old hymns, Silent Night on Christmas Eve always leaves me misty every time. Angels We Have Heard on High reminds me of my daughter's first Christmases at the First Unitarian Church in St. Louis, and of course I enjoy the old crooners who sang today's classics. Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas is a bit of a downer, but it looks forward to better days, a pattern of existence I've grown more familiar with as I get closer to 39 years old and I see that my waist keeps expanding despite my constant exercise. I also notice that my lofty ideals about this or that have unfolded in somewhat more earth-bound ways than I had hoped. The most wonderful time of the year is also an amazing song by My Lights and John Lennon's Happy Xmas, Christmas is Over is always on my playlist when I go for a walk. A reminder of joy and hope for an otherwise world are needed in the face of newspapers with headlines like ours. If you don't know the choir at King's College at Cambridge, they just released a new collection of carols that I've been listening to. And in that recording, if you close your eyes, you can literally hear the sounds of those voices rolling around the vaulted ceilings. And I like to imagine what it must have been like to go all the way back to the 1400s when King Henry VI still reigned, and to imagine what that chapel must have been like when all those people came to Cambridge. But I especially love the cartoon show South Park's Christmas Song, The title of that song I wouldn't dare say in church. My mother watches this online, or else maybe I would. 
But the song offensively reminds listeners that Christmas is not a universal holiday, that pagans, Taoists, Buddhists, Jews, and atheists, they don't give a rip about the holiday, no matter how many cities, towns, and storefronts in the Western world make it seem that Christmas is a holiday unto humankind. And there are some people who get the blues this time of year, which is understandable. A lot of Christian churches celebrate a blue Christmas service right around the winter solstice to honor the pain that accompanies some people this time of year. Holidays without loved ones, holy days with newly empty chairs, a house with less laughter, cheeks with less kissing. And here in this church, people gather every year for the annual winter solstice service, and they will again this year on the 21st to bid farewell to darkness and welcome the dawning of new light. Solstice and blue Christmases remind us that darkness is felt just as powerfully as the light. And I'm personally reminded of this when before holiday gatherings with my family, what they do is they say, Brian, we'd like for you to bless the meal. And I do, of course. Then I open my eyes and I look around and I see that a lot of the people have tears. And I've talked to people about this and their emotion really has very little to do with my prayer. It's that holidays remind them of simpler times, of people they love and miss. And here in this church, Christmas has a life of its own. There are 100 plus year old traditions that people expect me to uphold. It was in the contract that I signed. I have to uphold Easter. I have to do Christmas Eve candlelight. I have to do the pageant. And I love to do it. Also, I have to get the church all gussied up with trees and lights, and I'm happy to do that too. Christmas Eve and the pageant have evolved over the years just as Unitarian Universalism has evolved in many of its churches, though definitely not all. But whenever I talk to the old pillars in this congregation, they tell of a time when this or that family took care of the Christmas tree every single year. When this or that family every single year put the lights in the windows. When this or that family were the wise men for decades on end. Now fast forward to these days, getting majority of people excited about the pageant or decorating the church is a little bit like getting people excited for a root canal. Now a few people show up, but only a few, and fewer and fewer with each passing year. No doubt people are busy at year's end, busy with shopping, end of semester concerts and games, dances and recitals and house parties and work parties and travel plans and so on. But some of that tradition, even in the changes, it endures. And every year on Christmas Eve, this sanctuary sees its largest congregation by far. And afterwards, in the atrium, we are treated to the best cookie and punch reception in Marathon County. This church, on December 24th, it shares its ministry with the greater community. And what we do is we send the locals and their house guests home on Christmas Eve with the promise of joy to world in their hearts. And we do all of this without an altar call or a creed or a guilt complex. What do I say every year? 
love and grace are yours freely taken. Now, the busyness of the season and the complicated relationship people have with Christmas tends to bring out the Grinch in some people, and this is understandable to a point. People complain about the consumerist nature of the season, how it's become a time of year that lines the pockets of Amazon stock owners and causes us everyday folks to lose sight of what matters. Love, peace on earth, time with family. And while I'm going to acknowledge the kernel of truth in all that, there is another side of that coin, and let's face it, dear friends, some people just enjoy complaining You know these people. Maybe you're one of them. The Grinches who argue whether you should say Happy Holidays or Merry Christmas, no one cares. The Grinches that bah humbug on people's holiday cheer like newborns, spitting up on mom's holiday sweater. Now, I don't know about you, but I wonder if there are Grinch counterparts elsewhere in the world. Have you ever thought about, I thought about this as I was, um, writing as I was writing this sermon like have you ever wondered if Jews have like a Hanukkah Grinch like their own version of a Grinch right or what about the Buddhist do they have like a Bodhi Day Grinch that shows up and robs all the joy or what about Zoroastrians we can't forget about our Zoroastrian friends do they have a Yalda Grinch what about a Kwanzaa Grinch here's the thing I really hope they all have a Grinch I would be really bummed to find out that Christmas and Christmas-adjacent folks are the only ones who know people who make sport out of ruining people's holiday joy. And you know these Grinches because they come in many forms, and this is why Santa says what? You better watch out. You better not pout because the grump is in the insert. The grump is at the dining room table, the grump is in the mirror, and you just finished shaving his cheeks. Now each time Christmas rolls around, I see that Grinch in me. But what I do is I fight off that Grinch by tenderizing my heart for 25 days in a row by lighting candles with my wife and my daughter every night. And so we read stories that speak to our hearts. And then we turn on a little music in the background, songs from the choir at King's College. Of course, the queen of Christmas, Mariah Carey. You have to hear all I want for Christmas is you. And George Winston's December. And then in the family room, we watch modern day classics that I grew up with. Movies like A Christmas Story and Christmas Vacation. But whenever my daughter is tucked in with visions of sugar plums dancing in her head, my wife and I, we cozy up on the couch to the bells of St. Mary, or come to the stable, or bad Santa, don't watch that with your children for heaven's sake, (laughs) and Scrooged, maybe watch that with your kids. What I love about those movies is that those movies are about people are so good at being bad. Movies about how most of us literally need to be hit over the head with tragedy or heartbreak in order to see what a gift life really is. What a gift it is to live in a world where teachers show up to work, where preachers show up to preach, where nurses show up to heal, where good folks are free meals, where women and men adopt children and make them their own. A world where the Grinch's heart can grow three sizes bigger. 
A world where in the face of a million messes made by people like us, choirs sing joy to the world. Where people drive and fly and sail thousands of miles, often at night and through storms, to sing and exchange a gift with people. People they feel blessed to live with. Now if I had to, I would bet this is why people sing so much this time of year. We sing because it heals. And we find any excuse to do so, be it a religious reason, or simply because you like the old crooners and the way they make you want to kiss by a fire. Now I could cite academic studies like the one recently published by researchers at McGill University that concluded, quote, listening to music was more effective than prescription drugs in reducing anxiety prior to surgery. Or I could quote another research that says that the 9-11 survivors were discovered to be healed primarily by music whenever they were focusing on trauma and phobias. I could go on again, as I've done before, about the music therapist at the hospital where I used to work, the songs that we would sing to cancer patients and heart attack victims. I could tell you about all the times in the neonatal intensive care unit where I used to cover shifts, especially around the holidays, and how every night on Christmas Eve, the staff, Hindu and Muslim doctors, alongside Christian and atheist chaplains and cooks and chimney sweeps, we would gather in the hospital's chapel and we would sing songs about the possibility of something awful being transformed into something beautiful. But I'm not going to end with my thoughts this morning. Instead, I want to end with Robert Hayden's poem, Those Winter Sundays. And the poet writes, Sundays, too, my father got up early. He would put on his clothes in the blue-black cold, and then with cracked hands that ached from labor in the weekday weather made, banked fires blaze. And no one ever thanked him. I would wake and hear the cold splintering breaking when the rooms were warm, and he'd call. And slowly I would rise and dress, fearing the chronic angers of that house. Speaking indifferently to him who had driven out the cold and polished my shoes as well. What did I know? What did I know? of love's austere and lonely offices. Let us be reminded that in this complicated season of dark and light, of loss and hope, of longing and love, that out there in the world there are people rising early in the dark to drive out the cold and make way for love's austere offices. And may one day we be so lucky to be the people who build the fires. And may we be so blessed to be the ones warmed by it. Amen. I invite you to rise in spirit or body for our closing hymn, Santa Claus is Coming to Town.
you would, and you came here with someone this morning, I invite you to reach out and take their hand. If you're here alone, reach out with your heart. May the truth that sets us free and the hope that never dies and the love that casts out fear lead us forward together until the day spring breaks and all shadows flee away. Have a seat. Enjoy the postlude. We'll see you in a moment. <laughs>